All right, we're going to read from 1 Samuel 17, 40 through 46. And this is, um, this is the final, this, this is the battle. All right, this is where David actually confronts Goliath. It says that he, David took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag. Last week we talked about the five uh, secret weapons that we have as, as, as Christians. Which, by the way, this, this sermon series, we, we try to make all of our sermon series applicable um, to, 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 to everybody, and especially those who, who would not consider themselves Christians. Um, we would love for this sermon, for every sermon, to, to apply to those. Maybe you're just curious. Maybe you're just looking into Christianity. Um, this is still applicable to you. This is really applicable, especially to Christians. But, but um, these five secret weapons belong to Christians. And if you'd like to have some secret weapons for defeating giants in your life, um, you might want to come on board with us uh, because we've got, God's got some powerful stuff to offer you. Um, and uh, so this, this sermon series is applicable to you, but it's especially applicable to Christians. I talked about five uh, secret weapons, and if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, that's on the podcast online. So go to our website, citychapelchurch.com, and you can listen to that. Uh, David took five stones in his, in his pouch, which he had, and his sling was in his hand. We talked about that on the second week, the power of David's sling. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went out before him. And when the Philistine, that's Goliath, looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So kind of like me, basically. You can just picture. No, actually, actually the word ruddy. I was like, what in the world is ruddy? Who is ruddy? Who is ruddy? I dare you to use that in your, in your language this week. Man, you're looking real ruddy today. That's, ruddy is an old school word for, um, for, for redhead. So he, was, he had red hair and uh, something you didn't know about David. Uh, so he, he was ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog? Do you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, his little g gods. And the Philistine, Goliath, said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. In other words, you're dead meat, buddy. And David said to the Philistine, It's got to keep a G rated around here. Then David said to the Philistine, It did say that he cursed him, so I can't, I can't quote that. But David said to, the, to Goliath, You come to me with the sword, with the spear, with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of yeah, all right. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Another word for that is blaspheme. Uh, you have blasphemed this God. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. This day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And this is why, in order that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for, for your word. And I thank you for these people that have faithfully come out um, to hear from you. I thank you that you honor that. You, every single step we take toward you, you take, you take 10 steps toward us. And I just pray that you would bless us today with your presence. Bless us today with revelation of your, of your word. God, help us to, even, even if we've read the story a thousand times before, I pray that you would make it come alive uh, and fresh application to us right now, wherever we're at, whatever we're going through, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, uh, do, do we have any married couples in the room today? Any, any married couples? Loud and proud. All right, raise your hand. Yeah, all right. Well, if your spouse raised their hand and you did not, you might want to have a talk. You might want to have a little talk. 
when you get home. Some people are not that loud and proud, but it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Ro and I, my, my wife and I are actually teaching on marriage next week. So the sermon next week is going to be very helpful for you. Um, but but we've, we've learned a few things being married. Ro and I, her, her name is Rowena, Ro for short. Um, just think of row, row, row your boat gently down the street. Um, junior high, man, it sticks with you. <laughs> it sticks with you. Um, and so she, she was teased for that, and my name's Harry, so I was teased often as well. So we had that in common when we met. But um, there are so many things that we did not have in common, and one of which is, is a little something called punctuality. Um, <laughs> Roe was raised in a family. They were 15 minutes early for everything. Um, they were 15 minutes early. I said early. That's, that's, that's before you're supposed to be there. See, they broke the rules every single time. They were 15 minutes early. I, in our family, it always kind of freaked us out when people showed up 15 minutes early, right? Because we were still putting stuff away. So if they show up at our house 15 minutes, oh, oh here, can you take this? Can you stick this over here? We're going to put you to work, you know, because we're getting ready for, but, you know, I mean, I don't want I, I to throw my family under the bus for the reason why I was always 15 minutes late, but it's pretty much entirely their fault. It's, it's pretty much entirely my upbringing. That's, that's what it was. No, um, when we met, Roe and I had, um, I was 25 and Roe was 30. And so we, we had met um, kind of later in life. We are, were already pretty established individuals. And I was just basically fashionably late for uh, about everything. I was about 15 minutes late. Now, that's about the time. Because you got to give people time to actually start, you know. Because most people say, oh, we're starting at this time. But they don't really mean that. And so you just got to, you know, you got to sort of, you know. But Roe was 15 minutes early for everything. And so our, our time of... Um, of marriage started off a little bit rocky because every time we're ready to go somewhere, you know, she like it's it's thirty minutes. We weren't even late. Like if something starts at seven, she's getting ready like at five forty-five. I'm like, you know, and she she's not she's not you know a real you know flirt like she's not girly girl. So she doesn't need that much time like. You don't need like that. Like I don't need that. And so you know, around six fifteen, I'd start getting ready. And uh, of course, you know, she's there waiting for me. She's she said at times she would just go out in the car and just sit right. And um, and I would be still fixing my hair and doing real important things. And uh, <laughs> and so that we had we had we had some conflict. We had some trouble in marriage. And so. Um, so anyway, I, I, anybody, all, all the married couples in here, I, I have a scripture for you. And um, this scripture, actually, if you follow this scripture, you will never have a single trouble in marriage. Okay, now don't, don't, don't put it up just yet. This scripture is, is so powerful. You have to get ready for this, okay? If you, this one scripture, you follow this one passage, and you will never have trouble in marriage. I guarantee you'll never have trouble. Okay, go, go ahead and put it up. Let's see. Let's, 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 just, let's just read from this one scripture found in 1 Corinthians. It is well. <laughs> it is well for a man to abstain altogether from marriage. These are not... <laughs> This is the time for married guys to be quiet. It's just, just, just I'm, I'm helping you out here, Thomas. I'm helping you out. 
these are not the passages that we read at weddings. These are not the typical, you know, scriptures that you find in Hallmark cards. But this is nonetheless in scripture. And, and you say, well, well, that's an awful thing to say. Why would he say that? Well, when you, when you, he goes on to say, go ahead and go to the next scripture. Still in the same chapter, he says, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. get all this. All right, so all the single people, how many single people we got? All right, loud and proud, yes. You just need to bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's within me. This, 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 <laughs> scripture actually has a lot to say that's good about marriage, all right? I mean, this is not the, a knock necessarily on marriage. It's, it's, simply, it's simply letting you know that, that if you marry, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be, like people come up to me, they're like, we got trouble in our marriage. I'm like, well, yeah, look at 1 Corinthians 7, 28. <laughs> you didn't read that, did you? <laughs> I read the whole Bible. Not just. Anyway, you know, I mean, like, we're, we're shocked, right? We're shocked by trouble. And the idea is marriage is so good, marriage is so amazing that there will never be any trouble. But this is actually the opposite of what Scripture says, and it's the opposite of what is true. And, and some people would say it this way, anything worth having is worth fighting for. So anything that's really good is going to bring some trouble along with it. I, I believe marriage is good. I love my marriage. But there is, there is some conflict. There is some trouble because anything worth having is worth fighting for. Anything that is good is going to bring some trouble along with it. We talked about that last week, the, the desirable, the degree of desirable difficulty. In, uh, in other words, there is a certain amount of struggle that is helpful for you. It actually helps you in life. And, and, and there's, there's plenty of research that shows that married individuals actually are more successful in their businesses than, than, than singles. And that's not prejudice, that's just, that's, that's just the stats. And I think probably because married individuals are going through the school of, of, of marriage, which prepares you to work better with people, and you got to compromise, and you have to, and so, so it helps enable you in places of business, because there's a certain amount of struggle in your life that's actually helpful. And for those that have been called to marriage, for those who have been called to be single, man, you have your own struggle, and that's helpful. But for those of us who are called to marriage, uh, that struggle that we face, it helps us not only in our marriage, but it helps us in our entire life. It helps us be better businessmen and better employees, employers, and it helps us in, in life in general. There's a certain amount of desirable difficulty. And so the story of David and Goliath actually is, is, is a story, yes, of a small guy defeating a giant, but it's also the story of, of a small guy who is, who, is, who is called to be king. It's, it's a story of him finally being recognized on the national scene. It's a story, really, of David's big break. It's a story of David going from being a shepherd boy to being a champion, to being somebody who, 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 who marries the daughter of the king, who gets into the court. It's a big deal for David, and it's a big deal in a good way. The struggle that we face, the struggles in our lives are often big deals, but they are meant to be big deals in a good way. They're meant to empower us and enable us. And, and so I talked about that last week. I talked about the degree of desirable difficulty, that once you go through something that's so difficult, you, you, you are emboldened. You have a new sense of courage inside of you. And that's the purpose of struggle. Uh, but, but not only that, I, I just think if you don't get anything else out of this sermon series, that you just won't be surprised when you run into some trouble. 
that you just won't be shocked that anything that's good is going to have some trouble infused into it. Uh, if you decide to get closer to Jesus, if you decide to follow Jesus, I, I got just a quick message for you. You're going to run into some trouble. Hallelujah, glory to God. He's good and, 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 and unicorns and rainbows and, and, <laughs> and gumdrops. And, 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 but but it's, we're surprised by this. We often think, hey, if I'm doing the right thing, if I'm getting closer to God, why is my life getting more difficult? Because anything that's worth having is worth fighting for. There's going to be struggle, struggle and trouble anytime you got something good going on in your life. Uh, there is an old saying as when I grew up old preachers used to say the safest place in the world is in the center of God's will that's what they'd say um, and I understand kind of where they're coming from but I think, I think it's, a, it's a poor use of words and it gives people a false idea of really what following Jesus is like if, if, if the safest place in the world is in the center of God's will then I would suggest maybe David's not in the center of God's will because the safest place for David is not in the middle of a battlefield with a giant. I mean, you know, just, just put two and two together here. The safest place is at his dad's house playing Xbox. Like, that would be the safest place for David. I mean, look at people who follow Jesus. Look at, look at the disciples. They weren't in the safest place all the time. Uh, uh, Paul, a big um, major author of the New Testament, I mean, he was, he was beat up so many times, left for dead. He was finally beheaded, not exactly in the safest place in the world. But he was in the center of God's will. I would say the best place for you is in the center of God's will. I would say the most productive, the most, the most purpose-filled place for you, but, but not necessarily the safest. And so this is also a disclaimer for those of you who are looking into Christianity. If you love safety, stay away from Jesus. <laughs> Just stay away. Because when he called people to follow him, he said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him pick up his cross or his, his method of execution and come on with me unto glory. Uh, and why? Well, Jesus, why do we need a cross? <laughs> Just wait till we get to Golgotha. You'll see. You'll figure it out. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's not safe following Jesus. People who are in love with safety and security, Christianity is not for you. Christianity is for those who are ready to leave the shores of safety and security because they are looking for something much greater than safety, and it's called fulfillment. It's called purpose. It's called making a mark in this world, making a difference, making it count, seeing life change. That's, that's, that, that's what Christianity is about. It's not about uh, getting comfortable and safe. It's about what God can do in you, what God can do through you. And so, and so I would just like to encourage you that, that, that if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have trouble, and you're going to have struggle, and you're going to have an enemy. There's going to be a giant in your way. And if there's not a giant in your way right now, just wait about five minutes, and there will be a giant in your way. Trust me, Monday morning's coming, somebody. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> It's, it is. It is. It's just, it just is. It's part of life. And, and the, the sooner that we become aware of that, I think the better. That's why my money's on David, because he's not shocked by this. Everybody else is standing around. Oh, my gosh, there's, there's this giant Goliath. What are we going to do? You know, all these warriors are looking around saying, what are we going to do? But David says, and he says in the very beginning, he says, you come against me. And I think probably when we read that, we would say it more like, you come against me? Because we're surprised when Goliath comes against us. We're surprised when life comes against us. 
It's like, what? Huh? Wait a minute. Why don't you go against that guy over there or those people or everybody else getting so easy? Why is it me? And, and, and David's not surprised. He recognizes the fact that he has an enemy. And so um, for those of you who do not know, you have an enemy and is not the person sitting next to you, so don't look over that way. Is <laughs> not, it's, it's not, it's, it's, his name's the devil, okay? He's Satan, Beelzebub. Um, he's got a several titles, but basically he's out to destroy you. He's out to kill you, and he's out to drag you to an awful place called hell. If no one's ever told that to you before, I want to be the first one to let you know. All right? This is what I teach my kids. <laughs> There's a devil out there, okay? And he's out to destroy us. And it's not a fearful thing. You don't have to be afraid, but you need to be aware. You need to understand that you have an enemy, and this enemy wants to destroy you. And in fact, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. But he said, by the way, the thief also comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And because Jesus wants us to know these things, he wants you to be aware. He doesn't want you to be shocked when there's, when there's, when there's another force in your life trying to steal, trying to kill, and trying to destroy this Goliath that we all face, he is, he is against everything that is good. He is against everything that is God. You have an enemy, so don't be surprised by that. David knew this. He was aware of this, and, and, he, and he stepped out onto that battleground understanding what was happening. Notice in, in, in the scripture, if we can put that first scripture up there again, it says that he took his staff and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch and his sling, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and drew near. And when the Philistine looked at David, the Philistine, look, look, at, how the David, look at how Goliath looks at David. He looks at him with disdain. And he says, he looks on the outside. He looks that he's young, that he's good looking. <laughs> has to admit that. Um, and he says, am I a dog that you come to me with, with sticks? Which is weird. David only had one stick. But secondly, it's also odd that Goliath doesn't mention the sling. I think this is one secret, by the way, to defeat. If you would like to be defeated in life, this is a, this is a secret way to do it. Don't really look at your enemy. Goliath looks at David, and all he sees is a boy who's good-looking with a stick. He doesn't see a young man with a sling. And we talked a couple weeks ago about the power of a sling. If he would have saw the sling, he would have understood he was in trouble. He doesn't see the sling. The sling is what took him down. So often the thing that you don't see is the thing that creeps up and takes you down. Goliath sees David, but he doesn't really see David. David, on the other hand, looks at Goliath, and this is what he says in verse 45. He says, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. Those are, those are his three weapons that the Bible says that Goliath had. In other words, David was looking at each and every one of those weapons. A sword, a spear, and a javelin. And he also had a shield there in front of him. That wasn't really his weapon. He recognizes the weapons of his enemy. And I think it's so important that you and I recognize the weapons of our enemy. Uh, because he doesn't change them out, actually. <laughs> Satan's been using the same thing against people uh, for ever since people existed. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it works so well, he doesn't have to change it. Uh, you know, he just kind of keeps doing the same thing. 
And so we could sit and talk. I mean, I could, this is a short Sunday, but I could, I could go on for, you know, three or four days about the um, <laughs> weapons of the enemy. But I just wanted to, I wanted to let you know probably the biggest weapon and probably the weapon that you're least likely to see. And um, actually, it's, 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 it's in this room right now. Once again, don't look to anybody else. This is what you can do. You can take your finger like this. All right, everybody just, just, just take your finger like this. And, um, and go ahead and just, 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 just touch your arm right here. See that? So, you know, we all pretty much have short sleeves. So you can pretty much feel that. You feel, feel that? That's, that's what the Bible calls flesh. And, 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 and the Bible is pretty clear about flesh. That, that, that this flesh that we feed, sometimes a little too much, this flesh that we get Starbucks for, this flesh that, we, that we, we, we put it in air conditioning when it's hot outside, we put it in the heat when it's cold, this flesh that we, we buy expensive clothes for in order to make it look kind of trendy, this flesh that we, that we go to tanning beds and, and spray on stuff, and you know you do, and, uh, and uh, I obviously don't. Um, <laughs> That's pretty obvious. Uh, short Sunday means blind you Sunday, and so that's pretty much how we roll around here. But this flesh, this flesh, if it had its way, would, would drag you straight to hell. It's one of the greatest weapons that the enemy has, and it's the one we're often not looking for. We're often looking for stuff outside, you know, people and circumstances and the economy and the government and all that. We kind of look out there, but... But, but, but the Bible says that, that, that whenever you're tempted to sin, it's because you're drawn away by your own lusts. You're drawn away by your own flesh. Your own flesh wants something really, 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 really bad. And there is a tempter. His name is the devil. He dangles something in front of us. But, but he, he, has a, he has an alibi. <laughs> and his alibi is your flesh. The Bible says that your flesh constantly wars against your spirit. And so just as a little note of encouragement, I want to let you know the greatest enemy, greatest weapon that the enemy is going to use against you is probably yourself. Uh, we're, we're out doing street ministry, and we do that once a month, and um, uh, really, really enjoy it here in Austin. And there's some people we're building relationships with, and there's one guy I was sitting across from last time I was out last month, and... Um, I grew up in church, so I don't know all the street stuff. Um, I just love people. I don't, I, don't, I don't know all the right words for stuff. But he had this thing. Uh, it's like a, it was kind of like a bong, I think. It's drug paraphernalia of some sort, okay? It's like, it's for, <laughs> I'm going to show my ignorance here. But hey, there's some things it's good to be ignorant of. I'll just tell you that. It's, that's why I tell my kids. There's some things you don't need to know. Um, and, and uh, he had, it, was, it, was, it was like for marijuana, where you put some marijuana in there, and then, then you light it, and then you take, you take a hit, I guess, and a, a big breath of this marijuana smoke. And um, we, don't, we don't encourage these things at City Chapel. I'm not saying that because it's good. I'm just saying it because it's real life, and we're sitting there across from this guy, and he has this stuff, and we start asking him about it. And because uh, it doesn't quite look normal, it doesn't quite look like normal. And so he says it's synthetic, it's the K2 stuff, which is so dangerous. And so many, uh, last I heard, 12 people had died in Austin alone just from, just from trying it. It's so unpredictable, it's so dangerous. But I mean, drugs are dangerous. 
Um, but this drug is particularly dangerous. And, and so we just tried to tell, man, don't, you know, you don't need that kind of stuff. And this, 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 this guy is somebody that we've been praying for. We, you know, we, we're connected with. We're like, man, you don't, you don't need this. This isn't, this isn't helpful. This is dangerous. And he just, he just decided to smoke it right there. And I just saw, like, he was talking with us, conversating. And within five minutes, I mean, he was like, he, his eyes were doing this weird thing. And he was kind of like shaking. And, and then he was out. Like, he was just unconscious. I was like, oh, this is some powerful stuff. You know, I was like, wow. Why would somebody do that to themselves? Why would somebody want to do that to themselves? And then I was, I was talking to this other guy. He was a real clean-cut guy on the streets, only he didn't have any shoes. <laughs> and we were feeding him. We are giving him some food. And, and I was like, man, you know, what's your story? And he's like, oh, I, I just re-enrolled at Texas State. I said, oh, so you're a student. Okay, that, that, that's cool. Not Texas State. <laughs> I've been in San Marcos for too long. University of Texas, the Longhorns. My bad. My apologies to UT. Hook them, hook them. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I don't know nothing about that. Um, I'm from Michigan, so I just say go blue. That's, 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 that's how I roll. The Wolverines all the way. Hopefully this year's coach is going to do something. Um, there's no laughing. There's no laughing involved. And so, you know, he's like, I, I just re-enrolled at UT. And, um, and I said, so, okay. I said, okay, so do you have a place to live? He said, no, no, I'm living out here on the street. I said, why are you living out here on the street? And he said, because well, I'm just so tired that every time it seems like I get my stuff together, suddenly I lose it all. You know, I just, I'm just tired of losing it all, so I'm just going to live out here. And so I'm a little dense. You know, you got to spell things out for me. I said, well, why do you lose it all? And he was like, well, you know, drugs, man. Like, like, I always go back to the drugs. And he was real, you know, he was, he was moving around a lot, so I knew something was a little off. And, um, and, and I said, why? And, and so he started telling me about lab rats. I guess some, they did some research with lab rats. They gave them meth, and then they wouldn't eat or drink. All they would do is go back to the meth. And I said, you know you're not a lab rat. <laughs> you, you understand that, right? Like, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to do this. You don't, it's, it's, and, and, but, 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 and, and, and some people get really angry at the drugs. And I, and I am personally, I, I, th I think drugs are awful. I think people who make them and sell them are not nice human beings. But Jesus died for those people too, so Jesus loves those people too. But I, I, just, I just feel for the ones who are so addicted that they feel like they need it, kind of like we need air and, and, and water and things like that. And I think what is, it's not the drug that's the problem. The part of the problem is, is, is this right here. The enemy uses this right here to trap us. And you might not be smoking something or, or, or shooting up something, but you might, you might be on the drug of, 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 of fame or the drug of a, of, of a new promotion or the drug of a bigger bank account or a drug... Of, of a better relationship, you, you, whatever, whatever your flesh is telling you you need more than Jesus, that's the weapon of the enemy. And you better look out. You better look out for that one. You better look out for that one. My second reason why, why my money's on David is because he knew why his enemy was there. Once again, I got 15 minutes to wrap this up. He knew why his enemy was there. He said, he said you've, come against, you've, you've come against me with, with, with those weapons, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of, of, of hosts, the God of, or the, the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts, whom you have defiled. And this is really interesting because there are a lot of rabbinical writings 
um, rabbinical writings are um, uh, ancient texts by rabbis who give sort of commentary on scripture. And there are a lot of rabbinical writings about Goliath. There are a lot of things that the rabbis believed were true about Goliath. One of the probably most far-fetched things is that when they when David killed Goliath, that, that the, the Israelis rushed on Goliath and, and cut open his chest and pulled his heart out. And when they looked at his heart, there was seared on it the image of his god uh, that he worshipped, uh, a false god named Dagon. And um, uh, so that's kind of far-fetched. I don't know if that's true. But, um, but there are some things that Scripture does seem to collaborate with that we can know about Goliath. One is that he was a champion, is what Scripture says, which means he has a, a great history of victory. Um, and, 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 and we do know that the entire Israeli army was scared to death of the man. Like all of, of the army, over a thousand men are rushing onto battle. And this one guy stands up. Sure, he's tall. Sure, he's strong. But come on, can't we gang up on him? Right? That's what I'm thinking. We got a thousand guys here. We'll just, you know, we'll just everybody jump on that guy and we'll take him out. But there was something about Goliath that everybody, every slinger, every archer, every, every man, hand-to-hand combat guy ran away. And the rabbis point to uh, a scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 5, about 12 chapters before the chapter that we're in. There's this, there's this epic battle where the Israelites are losing and they're fighting the Philistines. And the Israelites say, we need to get the Ark of the Covenant here because the Ark of the Covenant is the, the box where God dwelt. God literally, his presence literally was on this box. It was the most holy piece of furniture in the entire land of Israel. And it was the thing that when they had the box or the presence of God, they always won. And they were in so much trouble, they lost 5,000 men that day. And they said, you know what? We got to go get the box. We got to go get the presence of God. So they sent for two priests, two sons of Eli. They carried the box. You had to carry it a special way. Anybody touches the box, they die. And, and people actually tested this out, and they died. Um, if, you, if you've seen uh, Raider, the Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever, you know, um, I mean, Indiana Jones kind of stuff. This is the Ark of the Covenant, right? This is the box where God is. They said, we need the box because we need to, to win this battle. We're about to lose. And so they bring the box, and they bring it there, and they go to battle the next day. Well, that night, all of the Philistines heard that they had brought the box, and the Bible says that all the Philistines were scared to death, and they they trembled. They said, this is the same God that brought them out of Egypt. This is the same God that brought the plagues on the Egyptians. We're toast. We're in trouble. And the Bible says that somebody from the Philistines said, don't let this box scare you. Don't let this God scare you. We're going to take these guys out. And the rabbis say that that was Goliath. The rabbis say that Goliath was so devoted to his God that he had basically sold his soul to his false god Dagon, to the demon of Dagon, and that Dagon had given him the demon, the demonic power, Satan had given Goliath supernatural power in his sword. And that day, even though the Israelites had the box and the presence of God, 30,000 Israelites were killed according to scripture. And the two priests were killed and the box was taken. And the people, the, the, the rabbis say that it was all done by Goliath. Goliath himself took out the entire troop, the entire army, carried the box himself without actually touching it by the special poles, and took it to the temple of his god Dagon, put it in front of him as an offering. Which would make sense as to why Goliath is at this battle. You know, every, every, every fighter has a reason why they're there. And David understood the reason why Goliath was there. Goliath wasn't there for fame. He wasn't there for fortune. He wasn't there because he disliked David or any of those people. It wasn't about them at all. It was about God. 
he hated God. And now he had stolen the presence of God from his people, and he's, now he's emboldened. Right? When, 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 when God comes out of the people, the enemy of God becomes really bold and really brash. This happens in nations as well and families as well. The enemy gets very bold whenever he feels like he's taking God out. And, and, and whenever, and, and oh man, right after a defeat, right after, right after you feel like you've failed and you've, 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 you've lost God, <laughs> that's when the enemy gets even bolder and he comes against you and says, all right, now who wants to fight me? That's why the thousand guys said, we're no match for this guy. He, he took out 30,000 just 10, 12 chapters earlier, and, and, and we don't have the box. We don't have the presence of God. How are we going to defeat him? The reason why, and let me, let me just tell you, the reason why the enemy's against you is not for you. He's not trying to destroy your marriage because he hates your marriage. He's not trying to destroy your kids because he hates your kids. He doesn't hate you. He hates the God in you. He is against God. He's against what God is trying to do in the earth. He's against people being saved and going to heaven. He wants to drag as many people to hell as he possibly can in order to spite God. He's against God. You gotta understand why your enemy's in this fight. You gotta understand why. You gotta understand why people get so addicted to drugs. It's not, it's, 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 it's not because the drug itself is so beautiful. It's because there's a hatred inside of them for what is good. And that's the enemy causing them to, to, to hate what is good and to love what is evil. And this is, this, 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 this is the thing. It's a spiritual battle. David recognizes it. He says, look, you're not really here for those guys. You're not even really here for me. You're here because you hate God. But David comes in, and David doesn't, not only does he know why Goliath is there, David knows why he's there. David said, I'm here, by the way, not because I hate you or the Philistines, but I'm here so that the whole world will know that there is a God where? In Israel. Wait a minute, I thought God was taken out. I thought the box was, I thought, I thought the box was out of Israel. The box was over here in this, this false God's temple. There's no God in Israel. That's what Goliath is. And David says, no, no, I'm, I'm here so that the whole world will know. Now, now, who's the whole world? They didn't have CNN at that time. There was no video cameras. The whole world is basically the Philistines and the Israelites. These are the two basic categories that God wants to use you and use your struggle to teach a lesson to. First of all, there are those who are behind you. There are those who are the people of God and have lost courage. God wants to use your struggle to give courage to somebody else. He does. Because they're sitting back there saying, wait, God's not with us anymore because we lost the box. He says, no, no, no. Here's the deal. When I defeat you, these guys are going to know God's still with us. And there's a second category, and that's the enemy. And the enemy is there thinking, we've already taken God. We've already, we've, we, 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 we've already defeated you because we've already broken your spirit. We've already broken what you relied on. We've already taken the physical representation of the presence of God. There's nothing for you to look to anymore. And David says, I, I want all of the enemies to know that God can get out of the box. God's not confined to that box. <laughs> you think, you think, you think because I've failed, because I've messed up. You think because I've, I've, I've lost something. You think because I've lost something that I once had, that now God's not with me anymore. But David says, I have faith to believe, even though I can't see the box anymore, I believe that God is still with me. I believe God is still with us. 
And so I come against the enemy because I believe God is still with us. Every single week during, during this, during this uh, message series, I've, I've had you say something with me, and my wife gets a little perturbed because it's kind of religious to, to do, but it's kind of fun to just annoy her a little bit and, um, <laughs> and be religious at the same time. It's kind of it's fun occasionally. You know, some preachers are like, somebody say, somebody say, and I don't really do that very often, but I do think it's nice. I think it's important sometimes just for something to come out of your mouth that is true, even if you don't believe it, just, just, just go ahead and lie. <laughs> you got permission. You got my permission. If you, if you don't believe it, but I just, I would just like you to say this: say God is with me. <laughs> Does that feel good? Let's just go ahead and say it again. Say God is with me. Turn to the person next to you. In the church, we call it your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is with me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean even, even though the enemy thought that he had us defeated, even though the enemy was, was banking on the fact that we had lost a few battles and had lost something from what we used to have, I have news for you. My money's on David and my money's on you because God is with you. God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? What is this giant who defies you? What is this giant who stands in your way? What, what is it? has to be defeated. The final point, and I got four minutes, <laughs> is that when David said, I come against you, he, he, said, he, said, he said, you come against me with, and he named the weapons. And he said, you come against me with those things. I come against you in. You need, you, you, you need to understand the difference between with and in. So many times we try to come against our enemies with something, with some weapon, with determination, with a fresh perspective, with, and all those things are good. David had a sling after all. But in the end, David wasn't trusting in his sling. He wasn't, he wasn't saying, I come, you come against me with that, I come against you with this. It wasn't with to with. He didn't stand toe-to-toe. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't try to defeat his enemy with what his enemy was trying to defeat him with. Instead, he said, you come against me with something, but I come against you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> in the name. Yeah. Final scripture that I have for you is found in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is the difference between with and in. You can try to do life with Jesus. You can try to do life with him. And you'll get so far, but, but if you really want to see victory in your life, you're going to have to come against the enemy in him. It says that, therefore, if anyone is in him, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God is with you. God is for you. But my challenge to you is, are you in are you in Christ? To be in Christ means to be covered, means to be submerged, means to be completely submerged and overwhelmed with him. It's a difference, as we were talking this week, C.S. Lewis said, there comes a point in which you need to stop fighting for the truth or seeking the truth or trying to learn the truth. There comes a point in which you need to start feeding on the truth. 
comes a point at which you can you can explore and you can think and you can question and you can critique, but there comes a point in which you need to decide that this is what I'm in. This is where I stand and this is who I am. When you are submerged in Christ, you lose your old identity and you take on his identity. When you're submerged in him, people don't see you, they see him. Because he's over and above and below and beside and all around. He's wrapping and completely submerging you. And if anyone is in Christ, that's why he's a new creation. Because he looks more like Christ. And so today we're um, actually... Today, we're, we're, many of us are taking that step. It's called baptism. Baptism is the outward sign of what I'm talking about, being in Christ. Over the past five months, we started this church just five months ago. And over the past five months, we've seen a hundred people, exactly a hundred people make decisions to follow Christ or, or to recommit their lives to Christ. One, one or the other, we've seen a hundred people come through these doors and say, I'm going to follow Christ I'm going to be in Christ. And I'm excited about that. And in April, we gave an opportunity for some of those to be baptized. We had 13 people baptized, which means that there are 87 people <laughs> that have recommitted or have committed for the very first time, but have never taken the public declaration since that point to be in Christ. Even if you're baptized as a kid, I would like to encourage you here as an adult take your own responsibility, take your own initiative and decide I'm going to be baptized in Jesus. It's a baptism, it's a symbol. You go under the water. We're going to a river today <laughs> and uh, it's flowing water and you go under the water and then you come back up and it's a symbol of, of, of being completely in him because he covers you and he washes you and he, he cleans you. It's a symbol of taking that next step. And so what I want to do here uh, right now is really just, if you would like to be baptized today, if you would like to be baptized this afternoon at 3 o'clock when we go to the river, I would just like for you to raise your hand right now and just let me know that you're... That you're